spray pants are your <laughs> <laughs> Songs seemed longer today. Hi, everybody. Welcome to uh, Broken Shovel Homesteading for a Sustainable Future. My name is Lucas. I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Eric. And I had a side conversation with a teenager, I promise. (laughs) uh, Date of release is February 6th, 2024. All information will be current as of that date, because we do not expect any significant scientific breakthroughs or political breakthroughs in the next two days and i did it so you got it if, right we, you got it right this time <laughs> yeah if you're new to the show i've i've flubbed the intro the last few times and eric very thoroughly uh, mocks me if you want to go back to the last couple episodes <laughs> i guess we just fell off of our groove groove taking the the little christmas break yeah that 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 what did we take off three weeks over the holidays? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I lost my groove. So, so to speak. Well, today we are talking about solar energy specifically here in Vermont, where Eric and I both live. Vermont's story with solar energy is I'm going to, I'm going to come at it from the positive side before you start, Eric. It's a, it's a, it's innova- it's a story of innovation, environmental consciousness, and community spirit, right? So the early residents faced harsh winters and embraced resourceful solutions for energy needs. And, you know, that kind of started in the 50s because winter in, and the weather here is very difficult. Building infrastructure here is very difficult. The terrain fights back, yeah, <laughs> so we, to speak. We really only have like maybe six months or less of really good build season for certain things like pouring concrete. You really can only pour concrete in Vermont between April and November at best. Like, yes, you can pour in the winter, but it's not going to cure right. It's going to crack and you're going to have issues. Yes. Yeah. So time is limited. And then, of course, the the issues of you know, getting cables across the mountains and the forests and the rivers and everything else is quite a challenge. And right, has some pretty. That's why I make my first face. Yes. Okay. So I'm gonna kind of. I want to just say, you know, in in the 50s, the saw Vermonters experimenting with solar energy. They were primarily using solar hot water heaters, and that was basically in reaction to increasing fossil fuel costs, and then. You know, then heading into the seventies, there we started to see some federal cha- tax credits, which sort of inspired people to install solar. And three, what it was over three thousand five hundred hot water heaters find were put in in Vermont. Solar hot water heaters. Yeah, those uh, are those really weird. The, the newer ones are the weird ones where, like, you see those black tubes sitting on the side of the building or on the yeah. house. That's yeah. that's the solar hot water heaters. Yep. Yeah, I I pass by one in West Fairley often. And the a person on my road or a little bit fur- further down 132 used to have one before they sold the house and the new people moved in. The first thing they did was pull that out and I'm guessing put in a regular hot water heater. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and then we start to see a lot of research and development in the 70s and 80s. University of Vermont 
had a solar energy application center and it became a, like a, an actual hub for research, education, and demonstration products. And that um, was on, on both, not just solar, renewable as well, because they were one of the first that had the, uh, they had the first uh, windmill up there at that, their little facility. Not the Dutch. Not the Dutch, but yeah, not the Dutch. <laughs> the, the, the first one in Vermont when they were when they was coming about, like you used to drive up to Burlington and you because you pass the facility when you're going up to Burlington and you'd yeah. see because it's, it's part of the uh, the part of their ag region area and yeah you'd drive by like there's a windmill right there it's like it's a little short thing but it's there <laughs> and now so now the markets start to emerge in the 90s okay so there was a policy push vermont's progressive energy policies at the time like net metering and feed-in tariffs fostered a supportive environmental environment for solar growth and at the same time, the technology was advancing. The photovoltaic panels became more efficient and affordable, which increased adaptation across the state. And there were community asterisk. asterisk, in asterisk. That. I know you're going to step in after this one, next one. Community initiatives, uh, local nonprofits like Sunrite and co-ops co like Vermont Energy Co-op started to empower communities to embrace solar uh, there's also renewable energy vermont is another one renewable energy vermont is another one yes which is also people don't like renewable energy vermont actually the, NIM the nimbys like to go after them for for good reason yes and if you're not familiar with nimby not in my backyard is a it's a nice little nickname for people that say not in my backyard all right and then we got the solar boom right in the in the 2010s Going and which they say is going on until now. Basically, exponential growth. There was a surge in solar installations across the state, large scale solar farms like the Coolidge, Coolidge Solar Project. Uh, you could barely uh, drive the anywhere. Stratford, the, the Elizabeth Mine, pro which is like, so that one is the one that I'm like, one that I like that one because that one was put on a brownfield where nothing else can really grow uh, <laughs> it's not disturbing wetlands or f existing forest or etc and it's just it's it's a great spot yeah yo i agree and then there was a lot of financial incentives right so policy support coupled with federal tax credits made solar super attractive as an investment for vermonters and that sort of leads us to today and, you know, I'm going to sort of leave off the grid benefits and let you fill that in because, you know, so they say solar in Vermont has strengthened grid resilience and reduced reliance on imported fossil fuels. At least that's the talking point, right? That's the talking uh, point, but it's the, the, so a, a 150 kilowatt solar field, which is on the, on the smaller the mid-sized end of these, all of those potentially only reduce our, our draw from like, there's the killing Connecticut natural gas plant that we buy power from. Uh, we own with our panels and such, we only reduce our buy from them by about 5%. Which seems, so where is the energy going? 
then i mean you can barely drive anywhere in this state without seeing a solar field well that goes back that goes into my next point of why that i have i have issues with how hard solar is being pushed because vermont has the second lowest amount of received sunlight in the continental u.s really yes thus because of that Solar panels in Vermont are 85% less efficient in Vermont than any other state in the country. Because of our, our location. Because of our location, the way the angle, the, uh, the sun hits us in the, in the winter, summer months, and, and et cetera, we just get less sunlight and they're just less efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we put them in good spots that get get plenty of sunlight, but overall that doesn't offset the fact of like, we're 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 basically we're trying to push a boulder up a mountain right so when i'm when i look toward doing something like this and having a battery system and all of that at my yeah, home that's great I, I i i my my focus would be on or my my what i would desire would be one of those articulated panels mm-hmm. that follows the sun there's a few of them around. There's a few of them around. I like those ones. Those are nice. They're nice and big. They work well. But it's it's this is where I like I like residential solar over these big solar fields that are really only they're they're there offsetting somebody else's and 90% of the time it's a business or community group that gets this the credits then to offset their power bill. And they're usually right. not in its 90. A lot of the times they're not within the same community. Like I, I like the one in Sharon feeds town somewhere like two towns over is the one that gets the credits for. This field. <laughs> and a lot of the fields. That. Yeah. A lot of the fields around here are like that. It's not the local community that's getting the credits. It's somewhere else that put their money in. Cause the landowners will sit there and go, Hey, I want to develop my, my land for solar companies like sun common catamount solar, whatever come in and say, okay, we'll build your solar. It'll cost this much. And then they go out and say, Hey, we've got these credits available on this field. Da, 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 da. And then people bid on who gets the credits. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And, and Vermont's goal is to be. 100% renewable energy by 2050. Yeah, that's the current goal. Right now, uh, the low-end goal, we actually, actually, there's lobbyists, solar, pro-solar, and, and, and renewable lobbyists are pushing a bill right now that would be 100% by 2030. And 30% of that has to be generated in-state. Oh, okay. Okay. And right Gosh, now, that, and then, so yeah, that is ambitious. It is ambitious because right now we are at 75 by 32, 100 by 20, 2050, and then by, and it's 10% in state by 30, 32. So how do, so, okay. So let's talk again. So this brings us back to our climate and geography. Like how, how do we get 30% renewable in state? When we're currently at, you said five percent. Uh, that's just what that's just going for the one that one plant. I didn't actually get the solid. Okay. I didn't find a good solid number on exactly how much of renewable we have because 
Because the different organizations, the Vermont Electric Co-op, the Public Service Board, and Green Mountain Power all have different numbers for what they're saying it is. Well, going back to an episode from, from quite a while ago, hydroelectric is considered renewable and could take up quite a bit of that where mm-hmm. where those are in place but again we're finding that those are going to fail us as the environment changes yes, so it's also very very high they have just like solar they have a very large environmental impact yeah well and, and I, I want to talk about that environmental impact because so i'm saying Vermont has the largest share of in-state electricity net generation from renewable resources of any state, reaching between 99% and 100% every year since 2015. Now, this is from the EIA, the Energy Information Administration. In Ver- About 43% of Vermont's total electricity net generation comes from 47 hydroelectric plants. And that's, yeah, that's the buying from Hydro-Quebec. Right. Okay, but so it's not in state. Exactly. It's not in Good. state. Like, and I, I mean, there are, I mean, in state, we have the wilder kilowatt plant. Right. But so that's not have, producing. But yeah, that's not producing a huge amount. Mm. Right. Uh, now, then those numbers are moving targets, I guess. They um, very much are. They're, they're very much moving targets. And I'm, this is where my, my, my personal NIMBYism comes in is because, we are pushing so hard for these renewables at the expense of the environment. And I, yeah. I, I, and I get really upset about that because we have, so there's actually, I found a good one, a project in Shaftesbury. Uh, this is a, an article from 20, from last year. So this is currently a fight is going on. 150, the solar panabot would be 20 megawatts of generation, but would cover about 115 acres of mixed woodland and uh, farmland. Okay. No, it's not good. Yeah. Yeah, And it's it's huge because it would be, it's, it's, it, it, we, I mean, as a state that wants to say that we are, we are tourism driven. We need those scenic views. And right. I, and without them, it's like, oh, I don't go. People aren't going to go to Shaftesbury to go look at a solar field. They want to go to Shaftesbury to look at the foliage, to look right. at the hills and such. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the impact on wildlife though, too. Like, cause I mean, that is, you're, you're essentially clear cutting land and you're uh, clear cutting land. You're breaking up corridors. Yeah, because you're not because everyone's like, oh, well, it doesn't ruin the corridor. It's like, no, you're putting a fence around these. Yeah. Animals can't just like only deer even struggle to jump over these seven foot fences they put around these because they aren't. It's not like the little four four foot fences you put around your property. Like they're putting big fences around these preventing wildlife from cutting through. Yes. And, you know, with the intention of keeping people from stealing all the copper, I guess, that's involved in this and, and various precious metals and things like that, that are involved in this. So it is, it is breaking up wildlife corridors. It is taking away land from grounds, breeding grounds, grounds, all of that stuff, foraging areas. Well, and you mentioned earlier wetland. 
where they're getting, I, I assume, special permits to build on wetlands. They are. They're getting special permits, and and it's, yeah. I mean, it basically we're we're we are we are making exemptions that we wouldn't wouldn't give otherwise, just for the sake of pushing solar. Because technically, you're not supposed to build on or around up to a class four wetlands, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they're definitely and like. The one in Shaftesbury, the Shaftesbury, they're very concerned about the amount of the clear cutting being done is going to affect the brook that runs the, on the bottom of this property because it's a tri- it, it's actually a trout brook and trout trout like shaded brooks and the clear cutting would allow would cause the the water in the brook to be warmer affecting the trout breeding. Right, right. It's it, yeah, it's it's this cascading effects when you when you when you come in and you just like clear a chunk of land that has been you know it in a certain use for so long that the wildlife is dependent on the native plants that are growing there and and so on so i mean you also the fields also they promote that the small rodent populations, which is something that is both good and bad. And we've talked about the, the animal populations in a previous, in the previous episode. Cause the other thing is, is the, the predators can't get into these areas. Right. Now, some folks will graze sheep in these areas. Yeah. Um, mixed use is great, but there's not enough of that. Right, because right. the the solar company owners are very they're very sticklers for not letting anybody near their stuff. <laughs> yes, yeah, very much. You know, so if you're a private individual, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I the mean, thing is, and the other thing is, a lot of these fields are owned, and a lot like like the people why I put Vermont and renewable or and energy renewable energy Vermont as part of like people don't really like them because 17 of the members are major out-of-state companies. Right. They're, so they're not representing Vermont interests, they're representing out-of-state interests. So they're also selling those energy credits to out-of-state companies as well. Okay. Yeah, so not exactly good for Vermont. So how does Vermont rein this in? How does Vermont make this for Vermont? They it's really I mean, the pro solar lobby is is I don't see it a positive interaction with them in the direction they want us to go. I don't think there's a way for this to go in favor of Vermont versus the out of state interests. Because right now, one the pro solar lobby, what they something they want to do, they want to amend the current rules. Because right now, to build a, a solar field, when it comes to tourism, you have to meet four conditions. To basically, if you don't meet any of, or if if the land meets any of the four conditions, you can't build on it. They want to amend that to be that a facility would be located on or affect a specific parcel of land has to be listed in the town plan or regional plan as a scenic resource. Oh, so I, I just don't see that. I just don't get it. 
I, I don't get it either because it basically puts the honest on the towns to declare areas scenic resources, which residents don't want because scenic resources then cause their property values to rise because, oh, I look at a scenic resource, so my taxes are going to go up. Right. Yeah. Which is commonly referred to as a window tax. Yes. The uh, window tax, which people don't like, but this is basically saying, so the, so the pro solar and solar lobbyists have potentially found a loophole to get more of these panels into areas that they previously weren't able to by basically saying, well, that parcel's not, not part of these regional scenic plan. Thus we can build there. <laughs> God, uh. <laughs> and it would be it'd be, it'd be much. I would be much more inclined to be okay with some of this stuff if the previous mentioned of we are these panels aren't efficient here. We need to find another source of renewable energy in Vermont that is better beneficial for the environment and the people and to benefit our economy, which relies heavily on people coming to visit from out of state and spending their tax, their, their money. Yeah. We're, we're, we're concerned that's slipping away from us anyway, because of climate change. So, okay. So one way to, to keep the energy from going out of state or out of region. I mean, is this, is this an argument for better battery storage here? Yes. Better battery storage, storage, more incentive on communities and more, more easily accessible for communities and residents to build on or bid into these projects. Right. Instead of letting it go to uh, larger common interest. Yeah. And another one is, so I mentioned the Elizabeth mine Brownfield site. Those yes. sites like that, the like where we can't do, we can't grow much on. And even if we could go tre grow trees on it, we wouldn't want those trees because they're going to be contaminated because of the brownfield. So potentially building more panels on brownfields or one of the ones I like is on top of school buildings that are flat roofed and very large on top of parking lots. So making right. covered parking lots and building on top of that, building over the interstate, making parts of the interstate covered and having solar over the top have a canopy over yeah you'd potentially have to trade off some of the scenic views for that which may not be a negative on that but that's why i like the parking lot ideas because hey parking lots big open flat spaces put a canopy over both benefits the vehicles underneath and gives solar into the into that community yeah, that's what, you know, if I wasn't going to get like a, an articulated one, like we talked about, I would definitely do like a, a carport or something like that, which you'll see some companies put, put, you know, put up residentially. There's a really impressive one at the Chelsea vet veterinarian, which is like a four or six port carport. Yeah. Uh, it's very with, covered in solar. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it sounds like. I know, I know the way we sound right now is sort of negative on this subject. I mean, it's, this is something that we want in our state and to, to integrate it properly into the state, yes, not at the expense of loggable. I mean, I hate to, I mean, I know I've, I've decried logging before, but to take away loggable land, watersheds, wetlands, and et cetera, at the expense of having solar where these solar credits aren't even staying in state. Like yeah. if it was, it would be more incentive if a lot of these solar credits were staying in state, state, but this is a, 
This is one of those things that the, 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 the Republican side of the aisle likes to decry on the Green New Deal and such is the, the, these energy credits being basically being, being sold at the expense of, again, I've used the term the global South. So less areas that aren't able to fight the big corporations are in turn going to suffer. Now, the other side of that is like, I wish they'd sell our, I wish they would allow the greenhouse grass gas credits because then it'd be like, Hey, we have big carbon offsets up here, incentives to grow our forests and keep our forests green and have Mm -hmm. less, less clear cutting for the sake of these solar panels. Right. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll get a windmill. I mean, I, I don't mind the windmills, but the NIMBYs really fight those because they, they, they do, they, they ruin some of the aesthetic, but it's like, why don't we put them out on Lake Champlain or yeah. on some of like, cause I mean, New Hampshire doesn't, I mean, the ones, the new, the ones in New York, I mean, even looking at the ones in New York, and I think you, you know, the ones I'm talking about in between, in between Bennington and Albany. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So down there, like. They don't look that bad. I could get, okay. So for, I'm just looking here uh, for $1,100, I could get a wind turbine, a 2000 watt wind turbine. It's a vertical wind power. It, it stands about 10 feet tall. Oh yes. I like the, the vertical ones. Those are really cool. Yes. And it would be mine. And yep. I mean, you know how the wind is up here. Yeah, you're a great spot for it. Whereas like me, I would love to get solar panels on my garage and on the uh, southern facing part of my house because I, I don't need to get a kind of a telescoping one because the way that the sun hits, if I just put it on the southern facing half of my roof, I'm I get a very good consistent amount of sunlight from eight o'clock till five o'clock this time of year yeah well and i i have no shortage of sunshine here either. yes that that as well uh, <laughs> i'll do it all i'll do all of the above uh, yep. <laughs> yeah i mean i'm all for for all of it i mean my big one is like i like pushing uh, i wish they'd push harder for the aerobic digesters for power generation those yeah i mean that's that's more of an emerging technology right now though right emerging yes but but it's being used like vermont technical college i when i was there which is now six years ago got six seven oh god it's been yeah seven eight seven years now seven years since i graduated they were actually part of the power i believe this one of the dorm buildings and a couple other buildings their power and heat was being provided by the aerobic digester that was on campus well this is where we need you know, the government incentives and support to, that that solar saw in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, mm-hmm. except with the ability to keep larger corporations from manipulating it to their benefit and to the uh, detriment of your everyday citizen. Exactly. Uh, yes. So, I, I mean, yeah, obviously, we're not solving the world's problems here. We're just starting a conversation. Yep. And, and there's a lot of work to be done to to try to save the planet obviously uh, <laughs> well i think that's really all there is to say unless you've got something else there eric not really no no <laughs> no I've, I've said my piece and i mean oh i do want to also comment so like even lo- even the local local G- like gmp gmp has actually fought some of the 
the 20 mega megawatt projects. Like there's one in Coolidge, cool in Coolidge, Vermont that was done by net net era energy. They fought because they was basically like, it's not us. Like we don't, right. we, we don't need that mega generation in our, in the state. So we want to fight this. And it's like, no, like if we really want to meet these goals, we do need mega generation like that, like that. And I mean, it just really felt like in reading the article, I saw that they were fighting it for the sake of, well, they're not us. So we don't like it. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. It's no good. Uh, Oh, you know, uh, uh, so yeah, let's, uh, let's shift gears and, and a little bit at home. I kind of want to share the last two weeks, you know, cause we've drifted a little way, a little bit away from our theme for the year, which is waste reduction and, and, and things like that. But I, I don't know how it's happened, but I, I think I've just been thinking about it more, maybe, but usually I'm bringing two garbage bags to the transfer station. I have been down to one bag the last three weeks. Nice. So I, I, I don't know if it's just because I'm thinking about it more and things aren't necessarily going straight into the trash without, you know, a being broken down or, or, you know, separated for their parts to be recycled and stuff. But all of a sudden here we are. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, I did actually, I, 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 I did, I did break down and buy a new coffee maker last weekend. Right. You mentioned that to me recently. Yes, so. my coffee maker broke, and it was the it was the it was one of those breaks where it was the thermal element underneath, and that is not oh, it. Yeah. And it. And it's soldered, and it's it's soldered in. It's it would be just been like you know what, like the amount the five bucks I would have had to spend online to get that thermal element, plus the amount of time to well to desolder that one, solder in a new one. It's like it's more it's. For time effectiveness, it's just as easy to go buy the thirty another thirty dollar coffee maker from Target. But I mean, that's the thing. This coffee maker also lasted me about between six and ten years. Yeah, I don't have a coffee maker. Mm. I do the pour over cone thing. I do. So I, I I did campfire cooking like that while my my week while I was without, and I got very. I got very tired of that. Oh, I like the ritual of it, but I don't drink as much coffee as you. I think I've come um, back a lot. I actually, I don't drink coffee at work. Basically, once I leave the house, I don't drink coffee anymore. Okay, that is, yeah. You were all you, yeah. You, I, I'll have two cups in the morning. You know, one on either side of breakfast, and then if I've got a late meeting or something, I might have a cup of coffee around four, just just to be alert enough for for you know. Yeah, I, usually, yeah, I have stuff. usually two or three cups, two to three cups in the morning, but really, yeah. And then and these are my, my, my cups are actually really big too. Like I have big cups. <laughs> I have regular so, coffee mug. No, mine, uh, are like, mine are, yeah, between two to three cups worth in each, each cup. <laughs> but, I'll, but what I'll do is I'll, I'll drink it like halfway down. And then top, and then it cools down enough that I want to add more. So then I top it off and then I'll drink it about halfway down again. <laughs> and then maybe I'll fill it up again, but usually, usually I won't. So yeah, about two to four cups in the morning. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, that's, you just keep going, I guess. Oh, so we went to the, we went to the Norwich farmer's market yesterday. You and I, we met up there. Nothing, nothing quite like a couple of bros going to the farmer's market, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I, was I accosted by a little old lady in line. Were you? 
Yes. Well, the little old lady that was in front of me in line before I started talking to Chris. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was very much because she, she, everyone sees my shirt and sees the Latin on the shirt or on my jacket. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody has to try to translate it. And yep. she's like, just light the darkness. Just, yep, just light in the darkness, guys. <laughs> that happened last time we were at the market. Yeah. Somebody asked you. That's funny. I just and I was thinking about it after after we left. I, and just like that, the resilience of of Vermont to to have a farmers market going in the middle of winter. You know, Norwich one is of the, uh, one of the at least one vendor has veggies. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a lot of meat, a lot of crafts, and things like that. But I just, yeah. I really, I really admire that resilience here. That they're like, no, we're just going to keep doing it. So. But yeah, it was, I like going to that market and, oh, I got the, I got chicken. I got, and uh, pork. I got the uh, jerk pork. Oh, so good. You should have seen Meg light up because it was food that was cooked in Vermont and had flavor. (laughs) I'm making, I'm making my own food flavor today. What are you making? Well, I'm making, because I'm making pork for my egg rolls. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. We're doing chicken fajitas. Nice, nice. Yeah. yeah, I currently got my there. There, the the meat is marinating in the fridge right now, and then I'm going to roast it and then chop it in little pieces. And I'm gonna have way too much for the egg roll, so it's like half, at least half of it's gonna go for like meals for the week, and then yeah, yeah. Half go for. I'm gonna try to make me another batch of egg rolls. Nice. Yeah, you'll have to let me know how it goes this time. Um, yes, we love making yes. egg rolls. Yes, I always make. I, I my first batch came out. They felt like they were. I, I wasn't. Every time I felt like I went hard on the egg rolls with the rolling, it would tear. And then, but mm. I, but then when I went soft, they come out loose. Right. Yeah. It takes a it takes a delicate touch. Yeah. You just practice, practice, practice. Yes, and I don't have the claw. <laughs> Well, welcome to our new segment, c- c- cooking with with Lucas and Eric. What are we having for dinner tonight? We're, we we try we try to get as we're both people that try to get a lot of our ingredients as local as possible mm-hmm. and, and fresh. Yeah, yeah, fresh. And oh, that reminds me, I found a really great source on inexpensive mason jars because I'm going to be making large batches of barbecue sauce for sale and things like that, and. Next week, we are talking greenwashing, which is I'm very much looking forward to because there's no way that we are going to be able to censor or limit ourselves from talking about corporate greed. It is it is hand in hand. So one of us might cuss and uh, stretch our PG-13 out. (laughs) Yes, and and if anybody wants to do some pre-reading bale common in south royalton did a great series called greenwashing in the green mountains and we are going to be i am going to at least be reading reading them myself and talking about them because it very much it done a whole series on the the very much the negative aspects of the hard push of green going green in vermont yes yeah and and this is gonna require some zooming out. We'll be talking about the country and and global ramifications of this as well. But as always, we're going to put our main focus on our home of Vermont. So I'm very much looking forward to that episode. I think that's going to be a really interesting one, especially from the perspective of waste. Yes. uh, I think that was perceived waste. Uh, Yeah, we can expect that one to probably go long. 
Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, all the wrap up things here. If you want to talk to us about greenwashing ahead of the episode, you can email at broken shovel eight zero two at Gmail where you've seen it in your, in your day to day life, how you've avoided it and how you feel it, if it's ever going to go away. You can check out brokenshovel802.com. That's where some brooms are, and then some very cool linen things coming up soon with our natural dyes that we grow here on at Broken Shovel. Yes, coworkers have been asking me when the aprons are coming. We're once we're done cooking meals today, I believe fabric is getting cut, and then we're going. Then we're kind of just waiting for a day where it's tolerable to work outside to do the mordant with the alum, which is pretty, pretty tough on the lungs. So it's, it's a weather thing right now. Which like next week, you're going to get it. Yeah. So soon, very soon. And then of course, you know, there's just the process. It takes time. And Versher Farmer's Market is coming. I got a message from somebody who watched us on YouTube last week who I've known for a very, very long time. And she was just like, oh my God, congratulations. How how, how have you not done this before? This is exactly what you should be doing. <laughs> so, which is very encouraging. But yeah, Broken Shovel 802 podcast is available everywhere. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell the people you don't like to check out the show. I think that's it, Eric. Yeah, that's all I've got. Yeah, not a lot going on because, yeah. It's, it's winter. winter. It's February. <laughs> yep. I really do yep. need to get my seed order in for some more seeds. I yeah. I've got a lot of seeds, too, that I'm just like, yeah, I really should use up the seeds and stop buying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've got one more order to put in. We're going to do it this week. We had to get some other stuff first, but, well, we had to get a car. Yes, you and, did have to get a car, yes. <laughs> so, I saw your Knitmobile. My what? My knit mobile? Yeah, K N T knit. Oh yes, knit. Yeah. Oh, that's a nicer way of saying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it from us here, and uh, it's awkward ending. Bye. <laughs>